Hello. Thank you for tuning in to the Saturday Night Supper Club podcast. We are all made in the image of God, but we have unique talents and giftings in each one of us that reflect various aspects of his character. This week, we're hearing from Paula Waterman as she shares about how understanding that individual identity within us helps unlock supernatural power and destiny, not just for us, but for everybody in our sphere of influence. Enjoy. I am going to share with you a little bit of my time. Um, in, I was in Vacaville. Any of you guys know Dan McCollum? Okay, but you know of him. Right, okay. So he has, he um, is at a church in Vacaville called The Mission, and he actually does some um, school of ministry training for Bethel. So there was a conference there last week called Prophetic Trainers Conference. And I took Emma, went with Carla, Linda Leon, who's not here tonight, um, and we went and had a fantastic time at this prophetic conference. I'm going to try not to like just dump it all on you, but I want to share what I kind of learned there because it was so interesting. Is that okay? Um, right before I left, though, I did a, um, a thing with a title company called Canyon Title. It's um, a, kind of a, a partner with your job, with your business, right? And I did this thing called Strengths Finder. Do you guys know what Strengths Finder is? A lot of you have done it, right? So I got to go and be like the coach, trainer kind of person. I did a little PowerPoint, and I brought in this test, and we did it all together. And it was so fun because most of the people there, their business people had never done their strengths before, and they're all trying to make a sale and sell everything. And, and a lot of times you think there's only one lot to do something, right? But when you test people with strengths finders, you're able to say, listen, you're good at this, you're good at this, you're good at this, major in on what you're good at, and don't worry about so much what you're not good at. Find a way to make your strength work for you. And I told you, Chris, I was going to use you as, as an example today. So Chris went to uh, went out with his friend Tom Hood today and went over to um, a garage sale. Is that correct? Now, many of you know my husband Chris. His top strength is woo, win others over, and it's like hyper woo. It's not just regular woo. It's woo woo woo. He can find things out about people that you and I would never think to ask or have the nerve to ask. So today he was at. That's true. He was at um, this garage sale, and the, the guy was sold it, was selling his house. That's why he's doing the garage sale, right? Yeah. So Chris finds out how much he sold it for, how much he made off the, off the um, deal, where he's moving to. Oh, he plays guitar. Oh, he plays bass. Oh, let me show you my bass guitar. Brings him downstairs. Can I take a picture with you? Takes a picture with him. Finds out he's moving to St. Croix. The guy goes, you should move to St. Croix. Here's my card. Call me if you ever want to. What else did you learn about him? Okay, from a garage sale. He found that out from a garage sale. Uh, yeah, let's do it because it's real, real cheap. We'll play bingo there, yes. right? <laughs> My point is when he come, came home and told me this, I was like, you're the only person I know that can find that much information out of a stranger. And they happily give it to him. They're like, oh, let me share my life with you. Because he can just pull that right out of people. He's got such a strong strength in that woo, and it makes him a really good salesperson. Give him a hand clap for being a good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, anyway.
anyway, I did this whole strengths finder thing, which I really like a lot because I get to recognize that kind of stuff in people and really build them up and empower them in their strengths. And even though it's a secular setting, I get to help people that think they might not be a good salesperson or whatever because they're not woo, but maybe they're strategic. So I get to help them, you know, hone in on their strategy and how can they be a good salesperson using their strength of strategy. Well, so when I went to the prophetic conference, it was all about that but to the next level. It's our prophetic identity. It's not just our natural strengths, our natural talents. So I was like, oh my gosh, Lord, thank you so much. I got to see it Monday, and then the whole rest of the week was all about our prophetic identity. So that's what I wanted to bring back to you. Isn't that super cool? Yeah. So one thing Dan McCollum said, and I can't really take any credit for any of this. This is just me kind of repeating what I heard. But one thing that he said, and I thought this makes a lot of sense. Janet, this is where I'm going to use you. I already warned you, Janet. Um, he's, yeah, when we talk about our identity, especially as Christians, being a, a Christian is like, is like all being part of the same family, all having the last name. Like if I said, where's the Holloways? I need a Holloway. Who am I talking about? Am I talking about Bob or Janet? We don't know really, right? Because it could be either one of them. But they're, they're together and their last name is Holloway. But if I say, I want Janet Holloway, we know that I'm referring to Janet Holloway, the woman of the Holloway team right there, correct? She's not just a Holloway, she's a Janet Holloway. And we love our Janet Holloway. <laughs> so, so when we talk about our prophetic gifts, or who we are prophetically, or our spiritual gifts, that's like talking about our first name, our Janet not just we're a Christian, not just we're a son or daughter of God, but we're a healer or a prophetic, we have prophetic giftings or we have whatever that helps with our identity, with our first name, our individual name, our individual identity. Not just that we're Christians and that we, we have all this identity that is general to Christianity, but we have an individual identity, an individual um, thing that the Lord has given us just for us and us alone, right? Um, do you know that for strengths finders, these, this is really interesting, there's 34 different themes in strengths finder. And the, the um, odds of any, what they do, they test your top five, and they say, you know, just hone in on your top five. The odds of any other person having the same top five strengths as, as you in the same order is one in 33 million. One in 33 million. The odds of anyone having just the top five strengths in any order, the same as you, is one in 250,000. So what I say is, what if you take your strengths and you add in your prophetic strengths and your prophetic giftings? Listen, you're one in 50 million, one in, there's no one like you. You take your strengths, you take your spiritual gifts, you put them together, you are completely and totally unique. There's nobody else like you on this earth. That's what I believe. Um, and so it, I think if that's true, it's super, super important. We know what our individual strengths are. We know what our individual identity is as a Christian, not just as a general Christian, but what is it that I have that I bring to the table that's unique to me and me alone and unique to the kingdom. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, okay? Um, Dan McCollum says there's 70 different prophetic gifts. In fact, when I was there, this is going to crack you up. Have anyone ever heard of an ecstatic prophet? Well, I never did either till I got there to that church. And I think there might have been some in the Old Testament. I'm not sure. But an ecstatic prophet is one who is 
um, like over the top praising and jumping around and doing all that kind of stuff. Very, very, yeah, right? Very, very active and wor it's a worship prophet is what it is, but like an ecstasy. Does that make sense? I've never seen that before, but I saw it there. And that was his identity. He goes, I'm an ecstatic prophet. I'm like, all right, I've never heard of that. How interesting. But how interesting that he knew that about himself, you know? And he knew his strengths and weaknesses in that, and I thought that was kind of cool. So what, talking about prophecy, I'll just give a couple of verses that talk about why we should even care about our prophetic gifts or why we should care about our spiritual gifts at all. In Joel 2.28, it says, And afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. 1 Timothy 1.18, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. So we know that prophecy is something that is for today. There are a lot of people that think that prophetic words or spiritual gifts or anything like that has passed away and isn't applicable to, to us anymore. And I, I think if we did an exhaustive search, we would see that that's that there's no place in the Bible that says that this is just going to pass away and it's not for us. It's something that we need to um, participate in and is for us today because it equips us to do the work of what God has for us today. And so I want to talk about what that looks like. Um, my daughter, I'm stealing a little bit from my daughter, she, I can't believe it, actually led worship and and preached a sermon on Wednesday night to her youth group with four, four finals or something that day. I was like, she was out of her mind, but she did it, and she did a fantastic job, but she um, used this passage of Gideon. I'm going to use it as well. I'm just going to copy her. Um, you know, the th I, most of you probably know the story of Gideon, but I'm just going to do a little refresher. You know, um, before King Saul and David, there was the judges. Judges ruled over Israel. And in Israel, during that time, there was a, a cyclical thing where the people would have a restoration or a um, revival. Then they'd fall into disobedience and they would worship idols and then they would have calamity. And it was, it was this cycle over and over and over. Probably we can see it in our own history if we, if we look carefully enough. But in the history of Israel, it was just cycle over and over and over and what happened is God would bring a deliverer a judge to help the people get back on track they'd get back on track they'd they'd experience a time of peace then they'd worship idols then they'd get overrun by bad guys and and so this was a cycle that happened in the time of Israel so in the story of Gideon we've got this time where the people are now in in the cycle of calamity they've been over given over really the Bible says to the hands of the Midianites who surround them. The, the Israelites are like in a valley, and the Midianites and the um, Amalekites are, are surrounding them, and those are their enemies. And for seven years, the Israelites would plant, and they would um, get ready for a harvest, and at harvest time, their enemies would sweep down, it says like locusts, and they would take all their harvest and leave the Israelites impoverished. They had nothing. They were completely impoverished for seven years because they, they were completely overrun by their enemies, and they were so desperate and despairing that they had no umption or gumption or anything to get up and fight back their enemies. They were just completely downtrodden, completely um, just could not fight for themselves. And so enter Gideon. Gideon is um, the youngest in his household, the youngest son, and he is threshing 
um, wheat in a wine press. And we know that wheat needs to be threshed out in the open because you lift it up and then the air comes and takes the chaff away and the grain falls to the ground. You gather the grain. The grain is what you can eat. The chaff is not usable and it's blown away. But because of the Midianites, during harvest time, he didn't want to do it on the open because he didn't want them to steal from him. So he was doing it in a wine press. He was threshing wheat in a wine press. A wine press is not out in the open. It's hidden, dark, deep, and it's surrounded. And it would be a horrible place to thresh grain because there's no wind. I mean, how do you separate the chaff from the, from the grain when there's no wind? But he was trying to do the best he could do, right? Um, and, and it's fair to say he was probably really fearful and um, scared and doing, doing the best he could do, but not someone you would typically think of as a leader, possibly, right? So here we have um, an angel of God comes to, um, comes to Gideon, and everybody but David can answer, what does an angel of God represent in the Old Testament? A word for it? I just said you're not to answer. <laughs> Theophany. Theophany. In the Old Testament, God used all different kinds of, he used angels or a burning bush or all kinds of different things to represent himself when he'd come. So when we say an angel of the Lord, it's actually the Lord himself. Okay? One day, the angel of God came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the something, whose son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press out of sight of the Midianites. The angel of God appeared to him and said, God is with you, O mighty warrior. Now, it's probably fair to say that Gideon did not see himself as a mighty, mighty warrior at that time. Is that correct? He's threshing in the wine press. He's scared of the Midianites. They've been super depressed for seven years because they're just under it and under it and under it. And yet something that God was doing, this is a prophetic moment, God is saying, you don't see yourself as a mighty warrior. In fact, you don't see me with you, but I'm with you. And, oh, by the way, I'm going to call out your destiny. You're a mighty warrior. So what does Gideon says? Gideon replied, with me, my master? If God is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracle wonders our parents and grandparents told us about? Telling us, didn't God deliver us from Egypt? The fact is, God has nothing to do with us. He has turned us over to Midian. But God faced him directly. Go in this strength that is yours. Save Israel from Midian. Haven't I just sent you? Gideon said, me, my master? How and with what could I ever save Israel? Look at me. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the runt of the litter. God said to him, I'll be with you. Believe me, you'll defeat Midian as one man. So after this, Gideon goes on to say, okay, if that's really true, I want to have some, um, I want some proof of this. And he asked for a couple different proofs, putting out a fleece. That's where you get the you know, fleece before the Lord kind of thing. And he finds out that God is really who he says he is, and God shows up. So um, after that, after Gideon believed him, he says, then Gideon built an altar there to God and named it God's Peace. It is still called that at the Oprah. That night this happened, God said to him, take your father's best seven-year-old bull, the prime one, tear down your father's Baal altar and chop down the Asherah fertility pole beside it. Then build an altar to God, your God, on the top of this hill. Take the prime bull and pr present it as a whole burnt offering using firewood from the Asherah pole that you cut down. 
this is kind of important, you guys. One thing that um, Gideon had to do, he was being called to his destiny. He's having prophetic words spoken over him. God says, I'm with you. Go in the strength that I've called you. You're a mighty warrior. I'm going to be with you. You're going to deliver your people. He's like, what? I can't believe that. I'm the runt of the litter. How can that be true? But once he believed God, there was something that God asked him to do. And God said, you got to get your spiritual life in order. See, um, Gideon's father worshipped idols, had idols in his backyard, so to speak. And what God told Gideon is, you're going to have to face your parents, you're going to face your father, and you've got to clean up what's going on here. Because before we can go forward, we've got to get rid of these idols. We've got to get your spiritual life together. And so at night, he was a little too afraid to, to face him directly. At night, he went and cut those down and did what God told him to do. But he was still a little bit afraid, but he did it. The next morning, everyone was like, hey, we want to kill that guy. Who, who cut down all our, our idols? I can't believe this happened. And, you know, this was a scary thing for Gideon because he was, going against his, he was going against his father. He was going against his family. He was saying, I can't participate anymore in the idolatry that you're doing. In fact, not only can I not participate in it, I have to tear it down. And I'm going to risk death, maybe being cast out from the society. I'm going to risk that what I heard from the Lord isn't really true. But yet, he was called to obedience to do it, and it was the doorway to his prophetic identity and destiny was this kind of radical obedience, you guys. This wasn't an easy thing for him to do because he had to go against everything that was going on in the land. He had to stand up and say, this is wrong, and I have to be the one who brings in some correction or, or turns us to the right way. That's a big deal. That's, that's a big deal, right? Ultimately... Gideon, Gideon did what God called him to do, took 300 men, routed the Midianites, um, saved his people from that oppression, and they enjoyed 40 years of peace because of Gideon, because he stood up and did what he was called to do. Um, it wasn't easy, but he did it. He lived out his prophetic destiny, if you will. He listened to the voice of God, came into agreement with what God said, who he, God said he was, and he was able to do this. And so one of the things I think is really huge we need to understand is we have to partner with God to contend for our destiny. It's one thing for the Lord to say, hey, this is who you are, and I'm with you. But if we're like, yeah, okay, whatever. We have to actually partner with the Lord to see that come to fruition. And it's not always easy. It's not always easy. The first thing is our acceleration is directly related to the speed of our obedience. Let that sink in for a minute. The acceleration of our prophetic identity is directly related to the speed of our obedience. And sometimes our obedience costs us. Sometimes we have to face our father and say, I've got to cut down your, your crazy bail pole or whatever that thing is. It's got to come down. And I know you've got to like, now you've got to answer to all the townspeople. They're going to be mad. But that's what he had to do to access his destiny. And remember, his destiny involved the deliverance of his people. It was a huge destiny. Sometimes, um, <laughs> sometimes we obey because we decide we're going to obey God. And then sometimes we do what God wants us to do because, as Bob would say, the pain gets to be too much. We know and Celebrate Recovery that when the pain is too much, You'll do what you need to do. Isn't that right, Bob? You'll, you'll make a change when the pain gets to be too much. Don't wait till the pain gets to be too much. Partner with the Lord before that. Radical obedience. Obedience accelerates what, 
um, our prophetic destiny and, I, and our identity. The second thing is being a world changer is a marathon, it's not a sprint. It's something that we, prophetic, our prophetic identity is something we continually practice and refine. You know, um, Chris likes to go to the gym and he likes to lift weights. And one thing about being, uh, practicing our prophetic identity is that we have to have three things, repetition, weight training, and resistance training. Hebrew 5.14 says, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Constant use in the Greeks is hexis, David, you'll like that, which means a power acquired by custom, practice, use, a habit of body or mind. If we're going to walk forward in our prophetic identity, we have to identify it and we have to practice it. We have to identify what we're called to do spiritually, what our, what our um, identity is, and then we have to step out and practice it over and over and over. Weight training Oh, here's an example. Of, I want to give you this example. This is kind of silly, but you'll like it. Um, Chris and I got married almost one year ago, one year ago last Sunday. And one thing that um, I decided I wanted to do, this is, a, a, this is probably a very minor thing for most of you, but it's a major thing for me. I wanted to make my bed every single day, like make my bed every day. I had read somewhere that um, if you make your bed every day, people are more successful that make their beds every day. What is that? It's true, right? There's some kind of, what'd you say? Right? There's some kind of statistic out there that people who make their beds every day are more successful than people that don't. So I'm like, I'm making my bed every day. We've made our bed every day for a year. And now I can say after a year, I don't want to not have my bed be made. Like it's so ingrained in me now that I'm going to make my bed just because I can't stand to see it unmade. And that was, I'm 53 years old. That's like I just learned that a year ago. I know. <laughs> Trying to be honest because I'm on, I'm on um, tape. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a funny habit, but it's made a big difference. Isn't that weird? But I made a commitment that I'm going to do it every single day, um, and we have done it every day, right? The second thing that we do as a couple, and we don't do this every day. We do it mostly on weekdays, right, when we're going to work, is we pray together before we, um, we leave the house. And so Monday through Friday, at least, sometimes Saturday and Sunday, not always. Um, and it's maybe five minutes or ten minutes or however long it needs to be. We'll pray for each other. And sometimes we're like, what do you want prayer for? What do you want prayer for? It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Whatever. But we do it because it's a habit we've decided to do. It. We do it when we're feeling happy. We do it when we're feeling sad. We do it when we're crosswise with each other. We have made a decision we're going to do it. And the thing that I, I believe about that is I believe there is more traction on those prayers because there's a commitment to the repetition of things that we pray for that one or two times praying for it doesn't necessarily break, break through. Does that make sense? But I think that the commitment to pray for it over and over and over makes a difference and strengthens our prayers. And so that's one thing, and I don't say that because we're any spiritual at all, but I'm just saying that's a thing that we've implemented which I believe has made a difference. Weight training, the second thing is weight training, which is putting more weight on the bar. This means we have to take risks to increase our measure of faith. Sometimes our prophetic gifting is tied to our measure of faith. What do we believe God will do for us? And we have to step out and take risks, and sometimes we don't want to do that, right? How many of you here, and probably all of you do this, but how many of you here see somebody in a restaurant that God wants you to pray for and go over and pray for them? Raise your hand. Sarah, Rachel, 
Anybody else? Lee? John? John? Anybody else? That would be called weight training, where we, we step out and we take a risk. We say, you know what, I feel like God's calling me to pray for that person over there, and I need to get up, and I need to walk over, and I need to do it. Because when you do it, it will increase your faith. I can't tell you how many times Emma has made me do it. Am I right? She'll be like, I really need to go pray for that person, Red Robin. I'm like, what? Really? And, you know, I'm supposed to be spiritual, so I'm like, okay. She goes, will you do it with me? I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'll do it with you. <laughs> and, I g- and I go over, listen, I w- we went over and prayed for this woman in Red Robin a while back, and we were like Chris. We talked for 30 minutes. We found out her whole story. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. But just taking that step to do it was hard. But if we're going to expand our gift, if we're going to grow in faith, we have got to put more weight on the bar. We have got to take risks. We've got to get outside of our comfort zone. Resistance training speaks to how we respond to rejection and perceived personal failure. This is a big one. When we walk into the gym, we can't usually lift our target weight the first time. We have to start with a lesser weight and work up. We slowly increase the weight until we hit our target goal. Resistance training means that growth must embrace the reality of failure. That's a big, big deal. Let it sink in. Growth must embrace the reality of failure. We must create an atmosphere of celebration to risk so that we can create powerful people. You know, it's our tendency to control, bring conformity, and bring judgments in other people or ourselves, even self-judgments right? What would, let's just imagine this. What if you had a two-year-old, one-year-old child, one-year-old child, they're learning to walk, and so, you know, they slowly get up, and they kind of, you know, hold the couch as they walk along, and then they fall down. What would happen if the parent went and said, you know, you're no good at walking. You should just remain a crawler. (laughs) Would that even make sense to you? We don't expect a one-year-old to know how to walk really, really well, and run really, really. We say, oh, there's a period of time where they have to feel their way, they've got to fall down a couple of times, then they figure it out, then they get up, and then they can start running. If we were like, you know, you're a loser, I can't believe that you can't get a hold of this, you should just remain crawling. Don't just give it up. But we do that to ourselves all the time, right? All the time, we try something new with the Lord, we, it doesn't work, and we're like, oh, that wasn't really real. We should just give up. And we shut the door. We shut the gate to faith because we pronounce self-judgments over ourselves. Instead of going, you know what? I need to keep practicing. God has called me to this. I want to keep practicing. I want to push through to be who God's called me to be. I'm going to have to be okay with failure. Right? That's a great word. One of the things that um, Dan McCollum did in their, in their kind of advanced training is they, <laughs> they bring prophetic teams together in their, in their church to pray and seek the Lord for information concerning amber alerts. Now that's some risk, people. So they get together. An amber alert comes out, and it's basically that a child's been taken, right? And what they try to discern from the Lord is th- who's abducted them, like male or female, or what kind of relative, what kind of car they're in. They try to get driver's or license plate numbers, the color of the car, where they're going. In fact, they have become, they've had enough success where the police has partnered with them on these Amber Alerts. 
Now, let me tell you something. That's a risk for that church to be doing it. Because you could be labeled, you know, a fool, an idiot, whatever. But their heart is so impacted by love for the children that have been um, taken that they're like, we're willing to risk. We want to grow in this area. What would happen, seriously, what would happen if we became so strong in our prophetic gifting that we were able to partner with um, police agencies and solve crimes? What? Why, why, why is that not within our realm to do? Because we don't have the faith for it and because we don't practice it, and because we're not deliberate and intentional. Isn't that cool? All right, I'm going to wrap up. Ra walking out our destiny involves our Metron. Metron kind of sounds like um, a superhero from, like, Mars or something, doesn't it? Like, when I think of Metron, I'm like, is that, like, a Marvel character or something like that? But Metron is actually a Greek word, and it comes, we can see it in 2 Corinthians 10. It means to a measure or a standard. Um, Paul says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who command themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. So determining your identity means you also need to determine your sphere. Sphere. What sphere are you called to? What sphere of influence are you called to? That's the, your metron. You, we're all called to a different sphere. In fact, there's a, um, there's a ministry out there that talks about the seven mountains. Do you guys know what the seven mountains is? It's government, let me see if I can get it right, government, education, family, church, business, media, arts, and entertainment. Is that seven? The idea is we're all, called to a, we're all called to a particular sphere, a metron. We're, we're, we're called to something that is God has put inside our heart, our passion, our desire, that we're going to have the most power and authority with. But in order to do this, we need to know our gifts, we need to know our assignments, and we need to know our measure of faith so that we can operate in the metron, not the, you know, superhero, but the metron that we've been called to operate in. One of the... Um, Best people I know who operates in his Metron is sitting right in this room, and it's Pastor Bob Holloway. That man is in his Metron. He's in his sphere of influence, and he's got power and authority in his sphere of influence because he's exactly where God has called him to be. And he has practiced and honed, and he has done the work of increasing his faith, knowing his assignment, and he has done incredible, incredible things in his Metron. That's an incredible man. To, to look at for that, an example like that. I want to end with this. In the book of Genesis um, 4.19, you know, Genesis has the story of creation, then it talks about um, Adam and Eve had um, Cain and Abel, and then they had kids, and then they had kids. So it's kind of a genealogy here in chapter 4. So I'm going to read this. Uh, Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabel. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise li livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Nema. But out of the name Jubal, he was the, the, the man who was over all the stringed lyres and all that kind of thing. We get the word Jubilee and we get the word Judah. So it's interesting that their names reflect their identity. Did you know that David was of the clan of Judah, tribe of Judah, 
and he was a worshiper. He played the harp. So he was descended from Jubal all the way back up there. Isn't that funny? And this is what Chris Valentin says. People who have an identity have a legacy. And they have a, that person's call in their life is actually more than just a call for themselves. It defines their genealogy from that day forward, just like Jubal defined it all the way down to David. If you don't do what you're supposed to be doing, whole bunches of people aren't going to do what they are supposed to be doing. What you do is not just for you, but it's for your legacy. Oh, that's so good, right? What you do is not just for you. Yes, it's for you. It's for your fulfillment. Because when you're walking in your Metron, you are a powerful person. You're walking your authority. And you're also expanding the kingdom. It's huge. But listen, there's a legacy of people behind us that need you to walk in your identity to make a way, to show how it's supposed to be done, to open the door. <laughs> I look at my daughter, Emma, and a lot of people are like, oh, you know, she's a little Paula, whatever, and that's true. But listen, I wasn't leading worship and preaching when I was 17 years old. I wasn't doing that. And there's something, and I don't say this about myself for any other reason, because I'm nobody special, but there's something about making a way that makes it easier for the people behind you to walk in their identity, right? And I look at, I look at Pastor Bob. He has made a way for Juliana. She's so good at, she, that's her Metron, is right there with Pastor Bob. And because of Pastor Bob, she gets to walk in her Metron right? And so it's real important. I, the power of identity is not just for you. It's for the kingdom, but it's for all the people coming behind you, both in your genealogy and in the family of God. We need our individual strengths to unlock everybody else's strengths, right? Isn't that a good message? That's the power of identity. And I just want to wrap up with a prayer, if you don't mind me just praying over us. So, Father God, I just thank you so much for every person here, God. I pray for their metron. I pray, Lord, for their sphere of influence. I pray, God, that you will place each person in what I call their sweet spot, that they will walk with power and authority in their sweet spot, that they will take risks, that they will, they will practice, Lord, and that they will not be self-condemning, God, that they will be okay to fail and keep on trying and keep their gates of faith wide open for what you want them to do, Lord. Mature us. Let us be the people of God, the prophetic leaders that you have called us to be, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you. As always, thanks so much for listening to the SNSC podcast. Here at Supper Club, we care so much about community. If you're ever in the Castle Rock, Colorado area, I encourage you to stop by on a Saturday night. We always have worship, an amazing message from a variety of speakers, and we always close with a free community meal. For more information, check out SaturdayNightSupperClub.org. Have a great week.